Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So, a little request I'm going to pour out there this morning. If you have a mobile phone, please take it out and please put it on silent. Because the last two, three weeks, we've had a lot of phone calls going on. And there might be a lot of business going on and we forget. Like my wife came in and the first thing she said to me is, Peter, put your phone on silent. Because I'd left my phone at home and she brought it for me this morning because she's a good wife like that. And she said, make sure you put it on silent. So if your phone goes off this morning, I will be coming to answer that call. I remember once there was someone in church, they left their phone at the front, and it was one of the worship team. It wasn't our church, I was at another church. And I answered the phone because it was going off on the keyboard. And I answered it and asked how they were, and, who, and they're wondering who on earth is this person chatting to them. I'll tell you what, that keyboard player never left his phone ever, ever again. So we had a great conversation. And actually, I was speaking at a youth event once, and my nan called me in the middle of the, of the whole thing because I'd left my phone on. Because she was having a lot of health issues and things going on, I answered the call and, it, and, and actually brought everyone into the conversation. And it was really interesting because my nan was a little bit hard of hearing. <laughs> so I was like, nan, I'm speaking somewhere. So I just turned it into a little bit of a joke. But yeah, if you wouldn't mind, if your phone is on, please turn it off or put it on silent. I know we, we all use a lot of our, we can't switch our old-fashioned Bibles off. I'm trying to get back to using the good old book. So I'm bringing it to church consistently because I, what I found is my muscle memory within the Bible for using the phone as my Bible for many years, because it's very convenient, I actually, when I picked up a, a real Bible, as I call it, a, an analog Bible, yet not a digital Bible. So when I picked up my analog Bible, I was thinking, I can't remember where about that book is in the Bible because my memory was just used to just pressing buttons. So actually, for me, I've got back to the good old analog version, and I would encourage us to do the same, church, okay? So we're continuing our series of Just Ten, um, and this series is called How to Live by Priorities, okay? My wife will say, my priorities are I need to clean up more, and I need to wash those dishes that she came home to last night. But I'd already done two sets of dishes before she got home because there was three or four that she'd left me. So she doesn't fit that little bit in. Um, but how to live by priorities. And actually what we did is we've been over the, last, over the last 10 weeks. Well, actually, this is the 10th week. Over the last 10 weeks, we've been going through um, the Ten Commandments. And so I'll just run through them quickly. You shall not covet, number ten. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number six, you shall not murder. Five, honor your father and your mother. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And number two, you shall not make, uh, sorry, you shall not make any idols. So that brings us to today's commandments, which is commandment number one, which is you shall have no other gods before me. And when I was reading this, I was really convicted, I was challenged, because church, when I put a, a, when I'm asked to talk, just to be clear, I'm talking to myself, 
Everything that I'm going to share with you today is directed at me, and I hope that I can bring you on the journey of the conviction and the challenge that I feel within my life when I look at this. And so that's coming from a sense of conviction from me. And so as we start to delve into God's Word and explore the significance of this first commandment, or in the original Hebrew, it was called the Ten Statements. I found that really interesting. It was called the Ten Statements. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to call it the Commandments. And also as well, it was called God's Moral Law. So our morals are actually birthed within it. Within the American judicial system, they have the Ten Commandments upon their walls in the courts. It's God's moral law. And just an interesting fact for you, anyone remember this film? This film, Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. And this, when I was growing up, was an old film then. And I say film because I'm a scouser. We, we don't say film sometimes, we say film. I try and correct my words. So if you're wondering what a film is, it's just the scouse terminology. It's actually a film. And so the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, this is what I sort of depict how Moses would have been like when he was coming down that mountain. But we can actually often think of the Ten Commandments as written as five commandments upon each tablet. And it actually, when I was reading a book by David Pawson, who's a real good theologian and, you know, just a Bible teacher who's gone to be with the Lord now, he said, actually, in the culture and the time of the day, there would have been 10 commandments upon each tablet. And the reason for that is that God would have taken, would have written those commandments, the 10 on this side, the 10 on that side. And this was because when you have a contract with another king or, or an agreement or an interaction between two nations, they would have wrote it on stone tablets as they interacted and made agreements with one another. So it was set in stone. And that one king would take the other statement, the other statements, the other agreements, the other commandments, as it were, and then the other king would keep his, and then they would have maybe agreements for trade or for peace or whatever it is between those two nations. And so for us, when Moses came down, he came down with these two tablets, with one with ten written on for you, and the other tablet written, written for, for God, God's agreements, as it were. So it was an agreement between God and his people so in Exodus 20, verse 1 to 3, it says, Then God gave the people all of these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. And when we look at this scripture in verse 1, it's plain to see that God gave the commandments, not, not, not Moses. So he was the visual person that came down and presented them but they weren't from him, they were from God. Verse two, I am the Lord your God that rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. God is saying that he rescued the Israelites out of slavery. It wasn't Moses, he was the front man, he was the visual guy at the front, the vessel that God chose to work through. And verse three, you must not have any other gods before me. Actually, a little bit further on, it goes down to saying verse five, that you must not bow down to any other God, for he is jealous God, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. And that got me thinking about how God views jealousy. Because when I look at the word jealous, it doesn't fit with how I see God, because it can be quite a negative emotion, a negative feeling, jealousy, isn't it? It's not a positive thing. It's, it's, it's a very sort of negative emotion. 
And actually, the, the actual interpretation and the um, English dictionary definition is a feeling or showing an envious resentment of someone or their achievements or possessions or perceived advantages. And that, again, does not sit right with me within this context of this scripture. God is not envious in that sense of resentment. But actually, when I looked a little bit further at the next scripture that I found, which was Exodus 34, verse 14, it said, you must not worship, you must worship no other gods. For the Lord, sorry, you must not, you must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. And so that word jealous in Hebrew for that particular part of this scripture church, the actual word is Elkanah. And Elkanah means consuming fire. And it's a holy jealousy that God has for his people. It's a holy and pure jealousy. It's not the English version of the definition I was sharing with you. This is something that God is striving for, that he is passionate for. And it's holy and it's towards you and it is pure. He is jealous for a relationship with you and I. Church, today, if we examine our lives and our time with God, is he jealous for your time this morning, church? Is God jealous for your time? Think about the past week. How much time have you spent with the Lord alone? I don't mean in a home group. I don't mean with friends. I don't mean even with your wife or with your family. How much time did you spend with the Lord alone this week? Just you and him having intimacy. In a world filled with so many distractions, church, and competing loyalties, God calls us to prioritize him above everything else. Let us explore this life-transforming message of putting God first and worshiping him and him alone, church. And so this first one I called the God who deserves our undivided attention, this first point. We serve a God who is worthy of our complete devotion. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Alpha and Omega, and there is none like him, would we agree? Our hearts are prone to idolatry and seeking fulfillment and satisfaction in the things that can never truly satisfy. And as an evangelist, I often go out and will speak to many people. And the one consistent thing I see, particularly in the broken and the lost, is that People are trying to fill their lives with different things to find wholeness, completeness, to, to shake away that emptiness that can only come from a relationship with God. And the types of things that they will face is, is this God-shaped hole, is broken relationships, you know, drugs, drink, gambling, materialism, thinking that there's somehow an answer to the emptiness that's within their life. And church, we might sit there and think, yes, I used to be like that. I used to have drink problems or I used to take drugs or I used to have, be involved in broken relationships and, and I was very materialistic, but then I met Jesus and he transformed my life. And that should be the story for each and every one of us, church. But also as well, for you and I this morning sitting here, church, we also may have other particular struggles, other little things that can fall in and become little idols within our life. Our social media, our phones, Netflix, our jobs can even become like an idol, like 
challenges in our relationship with God. Just as I said before, that materialistic shopping experience of being compulsive in what we do. And, and as family members, as mums and dads, kids clubs, you know, kids clubs can become a real challenge and we become obsessive about it. And if we were just as passionate to read our Bibles and spend time with the Lord as we were to get our children to that kids club on time, I know what it's like for me. I hate being late for things. It winds me up. You know, Kathy's at the back there. She'll say, well, hang on, Peter. You're always late coming to me, picking me up. But it winds me up being late for things. I like to try and be on time where I can, unless there's an obvious distraction. But I just say that. The reason I say something like we should be as passionate as getting our getting to church on time or we should be as passionate as, as getting our kids to, to the kids clubs on time. We should be passionate to pursue the word of God ten times more than any of those things, church. Yeah? However, God alone has the power to meet our deepest longings and desires and needs and he alone can only satisfy our spiritual thirst that we all have. Because we all deep down want more from God, don't we? We want more and we want a deeper relationship. When you're dating, you want to know that person more and more than ever. And every time that you meet them, when you're dating this new girlfriend, you know, or your fiance or whoever it is, every time, every day that you spend together, you get to know a little bit something more about that person that you're passionate about and that you're in love with. And when I talk about thirsting today, church, thirsting for God and running after him, They've often been, for me, the closest I've ever been to God is sometimes through the most challenging times in my life. You know, my son five years ago got diagnosed with a, a tumour and I mention this quite often. There are new people here who wouldn't have known this story and I'm not going to be able to go into the full detail. But just as a reference, when we found out our son had a lump in his body and it was diagnosed as a tumour, me and my wife's prayer life, I'll tell you now, went through the roof because we had to. Our backs were against the wall. We had bad news and we were like, God, you've got this. And in the midst of that, we had a faith and a hope and a trust in him that no matter what we were going to face, he was going to get us through that. We, we had to sit there with oncologists. We had to sit there with, uh, you know, pediatricians and surgeons and all of these things. We had to see a lot. But our prayer life just quadrupled in that time. And what I wanted to say, churches, is that if we look to the story, which is a slight side note, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't spared the fiery furnace, yeah? They were spared in the furnace. You know, Daniel was not spared the lion's den, but he was spared in the lion's den. Troubles, faces, church, things come in our lives. Don't always be thinking, this is, oh God, you know, I can't cope with this. And, and, and that was a genuine feeling for us sometimes. But I'll be honest with you, while we were going through that stuff with Josh, we had a peace that surpassed any earthly or natural understanding. And we can often be praying, God spare us not to go through these situations, not to be in the furnace, not to be in the lion's den. But sometimes we have to go through some difficult situations as God wants us to grow our faith and our understanding he wants us to help us to be patient. He wants to help us to trust him. With my son Joshua, we wasn't spared from the hospital. We wasn't spared from the doctor's appointments or the potential fear of surgery and chemotherapy. We wasn't spared any of that. But the doctor's appointments that we went through were quite intense and they were quite upsetting to some degree. But here's the thing. 
even though we wasn't spared that in the hospital, that's when we fully understood how big and how awesome and how loving and faithful our God is. Because you know what? We were spared in the hospital church. Sometimes we're praying to stay out of there. And I'm not saying we want to go there. We don't want health problems. We don't want those things. I'm not saying that's okay. But what I'm saying is sometimes God has a plan and a purpose that we don't fully understand. God is a sovereign God. God knew what was going to happen in the past. He knows what's going to happen today. And he knows what's going to happen in the future. Nothing takes our sovereign God by surprise, church. No matter what we're going through, he's there in the midst of it. It might not be what we expect. It might not be what we want. But he is there in the midst, church. You know, and that's when we fully understand how big and how awesome and how faithful our God is. And maybe God didn't spare you from that thing that you were trying to pray away. But he prepared you always uh, that there's an opportunity to see how big he is. How desperate, church, are you this morning? How thirsty are you today, church? What are you prepared to do to get closer to him? Is there an agency in your heart? Is there church? That's the question we've got to ask. And when I'm talking about this deep burning thirst, I look to Psalm 42 verse 1 and 2. And this was written by David in a time of trouble and exile. And it says, As the deer pants for water, as the deer pants and thirsts longingly for the water. Did I put thirst in there? No, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, as a deer pants and thirsts longingly for the water brooks, so my soul pants longingly for you, O God. My soul, my life, my inner self thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see the face of God? And the reason I put that in church is that, about that desperation and that urgency and that thirst for God. I often used to think about the deer you know, it's panting, it's thirsting for water, it's desperate, it hasn't had a drink for a few days and we're supposed to look at that as some sort of connection between us and God. But actually there's another flip side to that. This psalm was written in a time of exile for David. It wasn't written in, in, when he was having a great time and everything was going correct for him in his life. This was actually written in a time that was very tough. And so when we see the flip side to this scripture, there's another way. And actually, when a deer is panting and thirsting for water, the other, the other side is that is that when that deer is being pursued by the wolves, by it's being pursued by a predator that wants to kill it, that wants to destroy it, and ultimately wants to eat it. You know, that's what wolves are doing. They're pursuing that deer because they want a meal. They're going to destroy it. And that's a bit like sometimes what goes on for you and I. And I think as this scripture says that it was written in the time of trouble and exile for David, it was written for this particular purpose, is my personal thoughts. That actually what he's saying is, you know, how thirsty, how desperate am I to get to that water? Now the deer is not really thinking about having a drink there, is it? It's not. It's thinking, if I can get to the water, I can get to safety. Because the wolves are not going to get me in the water. They're not going to be able to swim after me and eat me while I'm in the water. So the deer knows if I get to that water and I swim to the other side, I'll be saved. And it's a bit like that psalm that says, you know, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and they are saved. And it's a bit like that for this story here. When we run into Christ, the living water, when we get to him, we're safe in his presence and the security that comes with that. 
And so that deer is panting with all its life. It's thirsting to get to the water. And that's how we have to be. Sometimes when our back's against the wall, church, like I said for Josh, my son, our backs were against the wall. It was like the wolves were chasing us. But actually we were thirsting and hungering for him. Our God is bigger, our God is mightier, and he's going to get us through, church. You know, it's, it's a powerful thing, church. So let us recommit our lives to worshiping God and him alone, giving him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And also, church, let us repent for not keeping God first in our lives. That's what I was thinking when I was reading this. You know what, church? We've got to have an attitude of repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for those things that I continually put before you. You know, those little mini idols. There should only be one God and one only within our lives. And maybe we don't look at these little things that are in our lives as God, but they can be like little idols that are sneaking in and they're taking our time from spending time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, the Ten Commandments are all based on respect. Respect for God, respect for his name, respect for his day, respect for marriage, and so on. He gave us... 10 things there that we need to respect and for us today church this message is clear you know if we want to if we want to have a healthy life if we want to have a pleasing life that is to God we need to respect these commands and in particular the first one because it knits and connects all the others together and if we look at social media today what does it do it destroys respect you know the view that media portrays is it's irreverent and nothing actually is sacred anymore Everyone and anything can be an object of fun and can be mocked. There are very little boundaries within society anymore, church. But God created these 10 commandments. Why? So that we would be healthy. Because you know what? If we, for example, um, respect marriage, we don't have to worry about sexually transmitted diseases or, or unwanted pregnancies. He has an order and a reason and a purpose for things. You know, so young people, you know, Keep sex for marriage. It's not something that can easily be just thrown away. God has planned that for marriage to keep you healthy, to keep you safe, but also to keep his laws because he knows it benefits his church. You know, the second thing is identifying idols within our lives. To truly worship God and God alone, church, we must identify and eradicate these idols that have taken residence within our hearts. Idols can appear in various forms, as I've already sort of brushed over. Material possessions, you know, social media can be such a big one. Relationships, sometimes we put those before God. You know, when I hear friends or family members who are Christians and then they start dating a non-Christian and they just start pulling them away from, from God because their heart is pulled and torn because they now have another love in their life and they're trying to keep them happy. And sometimes people can become obsessive about those relationships. Also, we can become obsessed about success within our lives. It's nothing wrong with, with wanting to progress and do things right, but actually if it can become an idol in our life when we're obsessed and that's all we think about. And even our own selves, you know, in this day and age of cosmetic surgery and, you know, people who are obsessed go in the gym two, three times a day, like me. What's the laugh for? I'm a finely tuned machine, I'll let you know. V, V8 engine. <laughs> v more like a V12. Um, but, you know, these can become idols and can, 
what they do is they consume our time. They take our energy and resources, leaving very little room for God. And we can end up giving him what's left. And maybe for some of us here today, church, that little bit of something that's left, he gets today. That's the only time that you think about God is on a Sunday morning. That's, that for some of us, that might be the only time that we don't consider him through the week. Why? Because we're so busy. We're so in, engrossed with other things that are going on in our life. Family consumes us. Our jobs are so important and, and, and demanding from us. So we end up just giving God what is left. We're all guilty of that at some point, church. And so Matthew 19, verse 23 to 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The next scripture is what I was going to say, is that pursuit of materialism. Without God, it's a dangerous thing. It's okay to have nice things, church. I'm not commenting or criticizing anyone. If you have a nice car, that's great. I've got a rubbish car. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know how old it is anymore. It's a 56 plate and it, one of the doors fell off. And I don't even care. It fell off inside. Ruth's like, when are we going to sort that door? Well, we can't fix that door because the door's unfixable. So I'm going to probably end up putting a screw through it and drilling it together. Because I just don't care. It does its job and it gets us from A to B. Um, but I'm, so I'm not, I'm not criticizing having nice things, church. But trust me, what I'm saying is that pursuit of materialism without God at the center of it, we need to be careful. Because where we put our hearts and our desires is, where our treasure is, you know, where our treasure is, that's where our hearts are. And where are we storing up those treasures, here on earth or up in heaven? Because here's the thing, church. The devil attacks our thoughts. He places a seed in your mind for something. Now, it might be that I need that new Lamborghini or that BMW. I don't know. We can place that thing. But the devil works. He attacks our minds. If we're not prayed up and we're not putting on the full armor of God, it's very easy for him to drop those seeds. And then what happens is, church, is we start to meditate upon that. And we start to meditate. We start putting the wheels in motion to get to that where we want to be. And that can be, again, that can be a very positive thing. But the enemy likes to use it for a negative thing. And so what we do is we start to meditate upon it. And then before you know, it gets to actions. We put to action what we thought, what we meditated on, and then we put into action. And so that's how affairs happen in marriages. It starts with the enemy throws a thought in. Then we meditate on that thought. And then if we keep meditating on that thought and not subjecting that thought to the word of God and casting it down, it will eventually come to an action. So that's how the enemy works and how he tries to distract us. And um, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, yes, Paul wrote to Timothy and said in um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And then finally, my next scripture as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So put God first and he will take care of the rest. But if we seek the things of this world, we will come up empty, we will come up deceived and ultimately we'll come up broken at some point, church. The next one is, the third point, is we need to be devoted to God. Devotion to God requires intentional effort and constant vigilance 
We must prioritize spending time in his presence. How do we do that, church? So the first thing is through prayer. Seeking intimacy with God. You know, it's so important that we're adoring who God is for what he is and what he's done for us. You know, through confession, through thanksgiving and that personal relationship, but also as well, his word. Church, this is the thing. We're all guilty of it. We don't spend enough time in God's word. Yeah, is there anyone who spends too much time in God's word here? No. We need to spend more time in the word of God, church. And through his word, we can go deeper and we start devoting ourselves to the scriptures. The next one is, we need to make sure, church, that we read his word. How do we know what it says if we don't read it? Yeah? How do we know? I can share scriptures. If I hadn't put it on the screen this morning, like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, people would follow along in their Bibles. Why? To make sure that we're reading the same scripture, that I'm not teaching something that's not appropriate, that's not correct. So everyone would bring their Bibles and make sure, yeah, that's correct. But now in this modern day and age, we can put it on the screen and make it easy for everyone. But it's important that we read our word, church. Secondly, do we believe what we're reading? Do we actually believe God's word? Thirdly, we need to trust God's word. You know, do we trust the word of God? Do we acknowledge him? And are we transformed by his word, church? And fourthly, we need to obey what it says. Sometimes that's the hard part for us, church. We struggle to obey the word of God. And here's the thing, church, we can't obey the word of God if we don't trust it. We can't trust it if we don't believe it. And we can't believe it if we don't read it and we don't know what's in it. So the challenge to us all, church, today, and the challenge for me, is we need to read this book more than ever. We're in troubling, challenging times in this world, yeah? And the only one solid truth, the only rock we can depend upon is Christ. And guess what? He gave us an instruction book, and that's what we need to do, church. We need to be following and reading God's word. So the other thing is what's helpful as well in being devoted to God is actually fellowship with other believers. This is important, church, what we're doing today. Going to a home group, meeting with friends outside of church, it's important. Studying his word and fellowshipping together. When was the last time you spent time outside of church just with a friend and talked about Jesus, talked about a scripture that's staring your heart. Because this is the number one thing that we should be prioritizing, church. Because sometimes we can so often get together, and it's okay to talk about football and the weather and everything else, and they're, they're good things, and we need that just for relational, normal life stuff. But actually, when's the last time you were around someone, church, and they stared your heart with some sense of conviction or, or challenge? about your personal relationship with Jesus. Because you know what, church? I want to be around more people like that. They're the types of people that we need to be around. I don't want to sit there listening to gossip and nonsense or someone's doing my head in or this happened. Not interested. It's boring. I'm, I, you know, we just need to correct that. But we need to be around people who love God, who love his word, and actually challenge us and inspire us, church. You know, it's, it's that place of surrender that we, we can experience the fullness of God's love and his, his transforming power. 
And as we cultivate a heart of worship, we will find freedom and joy in serving him faithfully and exclusively. So, on the fourth point, living for God alone. Living for God alone is not without its challenges as a church. We may face criticism, temptations, and even sometimes isolation because family don't like that we're Christians or something. There was a famous actor, and he turned around and he said, he was, he was a very popular actor. He was, he was, he was well-known around the world, and, 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 and he was a very sort of a desirable actor. And, and, you know, he had so much going for him in the world's eyes. He had everything. He had money. He had a beautiful wife. He had a beautiful house and cars and all of these things. But he said, when he gets home, he, th he hits zero. The mask comes off and he feels empty inside. And all he was after and all he was searching for, church, was an inner peace that, that, that could surpass all of those other feelings. Someone who genuinely loved him for who he was and accepted him not just for the position and the fame that he had. And however, church, you and I are not alone in this journey. God is with us every step of the way. He's empowering us to overcome these obstacles as we fix our eyes on him and trust in his unfailing love. You know, we'll find strength and we'll find courage to live this faithful life. And we're able through that lifestyle to reach out to others from a, from a personal experience. And then finally, we need to put God first. Let us be responsive to the call today, church, of the first commandment. And put God first in our lives. Put him back where he rightfully needs to be, church. I don't know if anybody else in this church right now feels convicted and challenged. I'm presuming that there are some. But I feel convicted, church, that God hasn't always got my number one spot in my life. Yeah? Can I get an amen? Okay, so that's about 20 of us who've got that conviction. So there is a conviction, and this message is for the church. Because clearly God needs to be number one in your life. And attending church on a Sunday morning church is not enough. Coming here does not, let's not be a tick box Christian where we think, I've rocked up on a Sunday morning so I'm okay. I'm not okay. Some of us might have a great personal time with the Lord through the week and that's where we need to be church. And get around others and encourage others to be like that. I struggle with that sometimes and I'll have a friend who'll rock up and he rings me and says, Pete, do you want to meet up? And do you know what? We've started just spending time reading his word and just praying more because I found I was talking about too much rubbish and nonsense about the world politics and Liverpool Football Club and things like that. And we still talk a little bit about that, but I want to spend 75% of my time talking about the one who's worthy of it all, the one who saved me, who pulled me out the pit, who washed me and cleansed me, who loves me more than anybody else on this planet loves me. That's the one I want to be talking about. I want to know more about him. And guess what, Chase? That's why he's put us together. And that's why he says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. So let's put God first in our lives. Let's constantly examine our hearts, surrendering these idols, surrendering these distractions that have taken hold as we devote ourselves to worshiping and serving God alone. Our lives will radiate his love, his grace, and the truth to the world in need. Let us remember the words of Jesus finally with what I said before. That we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. May this be our prayer today church. And our commitment. As we continue on the journey of being totally devoted to God. 
So what I'm going to ask us to do, church, is just for a few minutes, if everyone could just stand up, please. And we're just going to take a few minutes, church. I hope that something of what I've shared to you today has stirred your heart, has provoked you. Because as a young man, I was 17, I would come to church and I would, I would sit there reading my Bible and sometimes I would say, I don't know what the preacher's saying there. I'm not sure about that scripture. So after the service, I would go up to the pastor and say, Pastor, I wasn't sure what you were talking about. I always understood this scripture to mean this or that. Why? Because I was passionate to know more about God. I was passionate to know the truth. And so that challenge set upon me, church, that I actually felt, you know what, coming to church and sometimes walking out with a little bit of a limp was a good thing for me. I needed it in my life because my life was full of so many distractions, so many things that wanted to pull me away from God's plan and for his purpose for my life. And God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us in this room today. But here's the thing, church. It starts by putting God first, keeping him in the rightful place in the number one position, in pole position in our lives, not allowing these distractions to come in and it starts with, firstly, we need to repent and say, God, forgive me for putting those things in my life before you. I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah, secondly, it, it starts with just acknowledging who he is and saying, thank you, God, that you're the God, the creator of the universe. And the very reason that I have breath this day is because you ordain it. You have a plan and a purpose for me. Otherwise, he'll just take us home, church. So I just want us to use just a couple of minutes just to say, Lord, in your own heart, quietly, however you want to do that. If something of my word, of my message, I spoke to you this morning, church, it's an opportunity just to repent and say, God, you know what? I'm sorry for neglecting your presence. I'm sorry for taking you for granted. I'm sorry for just going through the motions. Firstly, start from that point. Secondly, just say, God, I just thank you that you love me so much that you sent your son, your one and only son, to die for me. I didn't deserve it, but you love me that much that you did it. I just thank him for his son and what he's done for us to restore us back into a relationship with the everlasting father. Just take a couple of moments, cheers, just quietly on your own, just close your eyes, bow your heads, and just speak to your heavenly father this morning. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.